a real conversation and some hard truths. Gangs, drugs, and guns, giving a voice to those willing to sacrifice. We have stories that need to be told. We have lessons that need to be taught. Protect and serve. Welcome to The Quiet Professional. Hey everyone, welcome back. Nathan Rome is with you. Today we are going to be discussing some current events and uh, all things Royal Canadian Mounted Police. For that, I have two directors from the National Police Federation here. I have Kevin Halwa and Jeff McGowan. So welcome, guys. Thanks for having us, Nathan. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, if We'll start off maybe if you guys want to kind of give a bit of a background on yourselves and just tell us you know, where you've been through your careers and what you're up to nowadays in, uh, with the NPF, but also any kind of special projects or maybe portfolios that you handle. All right. Uh, so my name is Jeff McGowan. Obviously, I'm a member of the Mounted Police. I joined the, uh, the RCMP out of Nova Scotia in 1994 and uh, ended up in Montreal for French training and then depot uh, for obviously the six months there and then promptly posted to Slave Lake, Alberta. So not much by way of French usage there, but uh, it, it was used once or twice. Um, from uh, spent about five years or so in uh, Slave, then went up to the Yukon. I was in the Yukon for seven years, um, three of which in Watson Lake, and then I was in Whitehorse after that. Uh, first nine years was about, yeah, it was about nine years doing uh, general duty. Ended up in uh, GIS, so our general investigation section in Whitehorse. Uh, during that time, I was also on the emergency response team. After that, came back to Alberta, uh, went to Fed Drugs uh, in Edmonton, uh, got back with ERT here in the division as well, uh, transferred over to uh, the gang unit with ALERT at the time, so had an opportunity to work with a bunch of your folks there. It was excellent time, like really, really enjoyable. And then from uh, gang unit, went over to ERT full-time uh, on the sniper side. Did that for uh, several years and then moved into, it was, that would put me at about 20 at that point and then ended up going into more of the admin side. And I've been doing like, it used to be called a subdivision or pardon me, a staff relations representative and then moved into another kind of admin role. And then uh, in 2020, uh, got voted in as one of the directors for the inaugural uh, board of directors for the national police federation and uh it's been smooth sailing since <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, not quite yeah but it's been good though it's been good yeah i don't envy your guys yeah. job i mean you yeah that's a that's a big task and you cover you're for for the prairie region right so you cover a whole yeah. bunch of- yeah and 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 realistically the way our director our board is made up is we're national directors so while we certainly focus a lot on the regional and even the provincial stuff, uh, we we're involved with ev- like national committees, national meetings, groups, and so on. So it's uh, yeah, it's there's a lot of a lot of things going on there. You can go ahead, Kevin. Uh, thanks, Nathan. Um, yeah, my my career hasn't been uh, quite as geography diverse mm-hmm. as uh, Jeff says. Uh, I'm born and raised in Alberta, Grand Prairie, uh, actually, um, where I started with Mounties in 97 as a special constable, uh, actually, um, uh, in looking after the provost section. So I was driving the bus, moving prisoners around to court and jail and all those kind of good stuff. Um, uh, after doing that for a few years, I decided I wanted to join the um, the uh, the regular uh, constable route. So I went off to depot and graduated, had a great time, uh, and then promptly moved me to Fort Vermilion, Alberta, where we served uh, there for um, just over three years. Had a great time. I thought I was going to the ends of the world. Um, but in <laughs> hindsight, it was one of the best experiences ever. Great people and and a lot of really awesome work that, you know, a, a junior member just would not have had an opportunity to do, you know, you know was, was able to, you know, carry the, uh, you know, file coordinator on a couple of murders and that sort of stuff, which is just something that, okay. um, you know, uh, a junior member in, say, Red Deer or Sherwood Parks is not going to get an opportunity to do so. It was, and at the end of the day, it was quite a fortunate turn of events, really. Um, when I was done in Fort Vermilion, uh, we moved down to Silver Lake uh, in 2004, 
Um, and I still live in Silver Lake. Um, took a took a promotion in Silver Lake, and then uh, took another promotion into Red Deer uh, a few years later. Um, and then, uh, like Jeff, um, back when the MPF stood up in uh, in two thousand, uh, was fortunate enough to get elected by uh, our peers in the division here, and have haven't looked back. It's you know the MPF is a lot of work. It's you know it's some really long days and a lot of a lot of things on the go and a lot of balls in the air at the same time. But um, it's great work and. We really enjoy doing it. Well, and for you guys, when you're elected directors, is that full-time position? And do you vacate like a, your position with Sylvan or wherever else you, you are? Yeah, it's extremely full-time. Um, you know, <laughs> I would say, you know, time at time and a half, really, uh, for sure. Um, uh, and yeah, we, you know, so we've, we've vacated other positions. Um, so what happens at the end of a term is really, you know, yet to be determined. Um, okay. We'll see. It'll be up to the members whether we, we we do that we're able to do this for another term or not. So, um, but hopefully we will. How long are your positions there? Uh, they're four year terms. Um, oh, or at least oh, the nice. first ones are four year terms. So, yeah, very presidential. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? I some so having been a Mountie for a couple of years, one of the things I always liked about it was um, some of the experiences you get that you don't necessarily get with the municipal services. Like, uh, I had ATV training. I was training out in Pincher Creek. And that was probably one of the nicest places I've ever been. Like it was, it's very it was like untouched land down there. And so you're doing some ATV training and got to use that a few times for a few little rescue uh, calls. But I had a friend who went to uh, middle of Manitoba. I don't remember the name of the first post, but he bounced around to a bunch of isolated posts. And he was taking a hovercraft to some of the calls. I was like, I didn't even know we had those here. <laughs> so it's pretty diverse. I mean, you can do some really cool things, right? Yeah, and that's that's pretty much held the allure for a lot of us in in joining. Um, yeah, I, I look back on some of the things that I did, uh, the places I've been, things I've seen, things I've been able to uh, to do, like you know, with with Earth riding on the outside of the helicopter, right? Like yeah, doing that, like just lots of really fun, neat things. So it's I. I I look back, uh, well, quite fondly actually on on my service. It's been it's been good. I, yeah, it's been good. Same same with Kevin, I'm sure. Yeah, you know the um, you know looking back on it now, you know Jeff and I are fairly you know we're kind of getting closer to the end of our career than we, we are at the beginning of our career for sure. And you know I can honestly say, Nathan, I can count on the number of on you know two or three fingers the number of bad days that I've had uh, as a police officer in the Mounties. I've enjoyed almost every second of it. Uh, got to meet some fantastic people and got to work with some fantastic people and, you know, just some really cool opportunities, you know, and, you know, deployments and, and whatnot. It was, um, it's, it's been a, it's been a great ride. Yeah. Especially if you're, you're an outdoors person or you like to travel, obviously you're going to get those opportunities. Um, anyone I know, and this may be more for Jeff, but, uh, anyone I know that's traveled or sorry, been posted to, uh, the territories has said they love it. And I think a lot of people just don't know what's up there, but, um, yeah, I've never heard a bad thing actually about anyone that's been up there. Yeah. The, uh, the Yukon, Yukon was great. I haven't been to Nunavut yet. Um, I was in like part of the area for Watson Lake. We covered a bit of, uh, the, the, uh, territories kind of into, uh, tungsten mine area and so on, but Northern BC and so on, but, uh, you are 20 minutes in any direction from high quality water. If you like fishing, I love fishing and yeah. it was outstanding up there. It was, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun and, and people don't really realize how big the country is until you start, especially on the force plane, when you're flying over some of those Northern spots, boy, there is nothing but bush for miles and miles and miles. It's, wow. it's outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll kind of jump into uh, a few of the topics we are going to cover today. Uh, first one was just talking about the province's announcements for funding. So, um, yeah, we can start with either one of you. Uh, and just to give a bit of context, it was the, the province has announced a whole bunch of funding to kind of combat crime. Um, they've announced money for sheriffs, uh, major centers, so Edmonton and Calgary, um, and then the Grand Prairie transition, which we'll get into later, but um, yeah, kind of, if you kind of walk us through some of the stuff that's been going on around this and then, and the concerns that are 
out there, obviously, for the the rural uh, municipalities. Yeah, the um, you know you know any funding announcement, anytime we get more money for you know uh, policing, um, that's a good thing. Um, the you know and and we're great to see that. You know, happy to see that you know Edmonton and Calgary can get some some more uh, police positions there. Uh, there's you know more fully trained police officers are always better than less fully trained police officers. You know, unfortunately, this you know this last announcement uh, from the government um, kind of missed out on a on a good chunk of the province. Um, you know, not just by population but by geography as well, mm. uh, leaving you know well more than half of it really not getting anything out of this announcement uh fantastic if you're living in edmonton calgary you can get some more police officers great uh you know you know and that, that's good for you um but you know that doesn't leave anything you know for the folks in you know the hypers and the tour shoes and the you know you know three holes uh, you know areas where the, the mounties cover which is which is the bulk of the uh the province so that's so that's a little bit disappointing um you know it's you know, I, I get that uh, criminals, you know, should not be really, you know, incredibly accessible or welcome any in Edmonton or Calgary, uh, but they also shouldn't be welcomed in the, the small communities either, policed by the Mounties. So um, it's disappointing that there wasn't any announcement for more funding in those areas, but uh, we'll, we'll get there, I guess, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, I I echo uh, Kevin's sentiment. Um, I I truly believe, like, I think there is a genuine interest, obviously, on the part of the government in trying to address the rise in crime, especially the violent crime. And focusing on Edmonton and Calgary are really good things, but there was a, a, a bit of a missed opportunity to address the rest of Alberta, which is, you know, outside of Medicine Hat, Lethbridge, Camrose, whatever, that is basically policed by the amount of police. I mean, it's population of Alberta is what four and a half million roughly so you've got yeah. maybe two two and a half million in the cities and then all of a sudden you've got the remainder that are out there and that's been a consistent uh complaint I guess from the communities is what are you going to do about these you know roving criminals what are you going to do about this kind of stuff and and having policed in small town like and Kevin will know it for sure um you have a small group, and it's and it's true, although that group is a bit larger, you have a small group that is generally responsible for the crime. So the police in all jurisdictions focus and arrest and charge these people. Um, but there's the after effect of that. So that's your prosecutors and the judges and the jails and all of these other kind of uh, ancillary parts or, or items that need to be addressed in order to really, truly have an impact on, on crime. And, and funny enough, I was at the uh, White Court Regimental Ball over the weekend, and I happened to be speaking with uh, uh, Mark Long, the MLA from there. And I had okay. said, you, you know, you guys, he's a UCP MLA, and he is generally supportive, uh, obviously, of the communities and policing. And I had said, you know, I mean, if you guys are in a position because they control policing within the province so that's yeah. provincial police and a lot of the enforcement but the courts prosecutors like all of that justice system stuff if they can get that in order or addressed as best as they can they can then turn to the parts where the federal government has you know jurisdiction like a lot of the bail reform stuff and a lot of the the laws and so on so Get your house in order, figure that part out, and then you can start to say, look, we've done everything we can. Um, let's, uh, let's try and focus on making everything better. So. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of, <laughs> there's so many issues right now, <laughs> right from justice, we need like justice reform, bail reform. Uh, I think a lot of people kind of dump most of it on to police to solve, which is definitely not the solution. Um, yeah, I, I and talking about some of the the communities that need help, even the ones that are close to the city, like we'll interact with. Uh, being here in Edmonton, we interact with Beaumont and Leduc or anyone else around. Like, there's some serious bad guys in these communities, and they have one person drug teams, and uh, like you can't do anything with that. You need more resources. So, um, if I have a gripe, it's going to be to get. Beaumont some more resources. <laughs> so, um, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. 
Well, I was going to say that, uh, yeah, you're right. That is a focus. And, um, and it's been good because um, the way that the province is kind of divvied up right now, there's crew teams, so crime reduction units. And yeah. I know that EPS deals and, and because there's so, nobody exists in a silo these days and everybody is working hand in hand, right? I mean, that's yeah. kind of where alert came from. And I know just having dealt with uh, EPS on a lot of stuff, like there is great uh, cooperation and great uh, focus on these general bad guys. But you're right. Um, when it comes down to it, you're, I mean, it's, it's always a resourcing thing. And yeah, if you're a two man, one man, two man GI or drug units, there's pretty limited stuff you can do because as we've all seen with the way that the courts are going these days, um, disclosure and evidence is, is just building and building and the requirements are building. So yeah, there's a, a real need for that kind of increased resourcing. Yeah, the defense lawyers are good. They've really bogged down the system <laughs> with the, the amount of paper and things you got to do. Uh, yeah, it's definitely been a challenge. Um, so do you think, is there, have you ever heard, is there any talk about the sheriffs becoming like a provincial police? Has that ever come up? Well, nobody, well not that's, not that's, you know, come out in those, you know, plain words uh, mm. at all. Um, I mean, there's there's clearly been a um, a move by the government to expand the sheriffs uh, number wise and expand some of their mandates. Um, you know, and that's and that's you know no no disrespect to the sheriffs at all. Um, you know, I think they 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 do a very good job of what they are were hired to do uh, for the most part. Um, you know, it is a little bit concerning as they as they expand that mandate more and more and more some of the original things that they were first off hired to do and it seems to be kind of falling off the off the table yeah um you know like prisoner escorts for example um it's to the point now where you know most of our detachments if they have a if they have a prisoner that needs to be moved um um you know they, they don't even bother calling they just do it themselves because they've already gotten the answer many times previous that you know yeah sorry we can't do that until you know monday uh and it's now friday night sort of thing so yeah it's, well, and then you run into um you know charter breaches or or some you know different types of arguments that you might get out of that 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 creates a huge issue yeah for sure and um the there there is i mean right now as as you saw or i'm, I'm not sure if you saw but like within the last budget there was no mention of a provincial police force they've kind of backed away from that because i think yeah overwhelmingly the population is not focused on that and i think i think that the the salient point to all of that is you can have a hundred thousand police officers on the street and it's really not going to make a big difference unless you support all of the the other side of the justice system because you know i mean to your point about police getting blamed, it's true because police are the face of it. You're out there, yeah. you're you're in the public all the time, but the police are, <laughs> and we hear it all the time from the members, and you guys, I'm sure you do too, you arrest the same people over and over again, they end up going to jail, and they end up getting booted out. Part of that, of course, was some of the bail reform initiatives from, I can't remember what year, but a couple of years ago, Bill yeah. C-75, I yeah. think it was. And now with C-48, hopefully uh, things start to get addressed. But again, even the bail side of it is not, is not the major issue. I mean, we, if, if we really want to address crime, we should not, I, I would say, not focus on the people who are necessarily enforcing the laws, but what comes after that. And that's, you know, EPS, RCMP, CPS, whatever. It doesn't matter at this point. It's it, it comes down to the policymakers. We I, I only go or do the things I'm allowed to do, and I respond to the calls where the calls are. Like I, it doesn't get much simpler than that. It's the policymakers that that have to decide, you know, where resources might be going, who's getting funding, and what what laws we enforce, and and then how we follow up on those, uh, I guess, enforcement efforts. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and. Um, that's kind of, that's, that's the, I, I won't say the sad part, but the frustrating part. Um, we're only doing so much. And that's why it's always, because I'm, I'm sure you hear it as well. That's why it's always funny when uh, 
police get blamed for targeting groups or individuals or yep. whatever. It's like everything that the police tend to focus on, it's behavior based. It's not, nobody cares what, what somebody looks like or what group you belong to or whatever. It's all behavior based. And unfortunately, kind of the way things have gone in recent years is there's been a shift in how people after the fact view all of that. So it's kind of, I were probably off topic here on <laughs> some of this stuff. No, I think it's, it's, but it's still a good point though. Like when it comes to funding, like what are we funding uh, the types of units? And then when we say, well, I don't have anybody in patrol to go to half these calls because we're creating, um, I don't know another term for it, but it, it gets used around here a lot, boutique units. And it's like, well, is that the appropriate response? That comes from policymakers, the, the political side of things that are pushing a certain, uh, they want the optics out there that, you know, this one issue is being taken care of. One of the things, and I've said this many times on the podcast, like right from informants mouths, you've been told, like you used to spend 90% of your, you know, dollars fighting us uh, and going after like the real bad guys. Now you spend 50% on social justice issues. Maybe some of those are legitimate issues that we need to focus on or make changes. I don't think that like the amount of budget that we spend, we're seeing the effects of it right now where we have these issues about, you know, who's getting what funding, what services handling, you know, what thing. Uh, it just seems like a bit of a, a, a disaster right now, I guess. A lot of fragmentation. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Kevin, there. Well, I was just going to say, you know, like those, uh, that's a great term for, you know, boutique, uh, boutique units. Um, those are fine and dandy. Uh, if the, if the, the real leather on the streets, leather on the ground, um, you know, patrol or the watches in our case um, are also up to stuff. Um, you can't do one at the, at the, um, at the expense of the other. And yeah. Sometimes that seems to be happening lately. Well, I was, I was going to say to that, to that point, when you look at, you look at professional athlete, you take like a professional hockey player, what is it that makes them great? Okay. So you have obviously the discipline and they have that innate skill or whatever, but when you see them do the fundamentals, they have the fundamentals down, right? Yeah. I mean, you're doing something that is, uh, uh, second nature like they go into autopilot when they're passing the puck or skating or whatever that kind of stuff so i kind of liken it to general duty patrol whatever is your bread and butter answering calls from the public is your bread and butter so if you start to deviate or distract from that sole focus i think it it suddenly impacts the way the the whole organization kind of responds yeah and i don't know if that's a good analogy but that's kind of the way i see it yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, and so we already mentioned this a little earlier, but like the Grand Prairie transition. So we'll kind of move on to this here. Uh, what this is something I kind of find fascinating because uh, I think a, everybody compares it to the Surrey example. <laughs> um, so can you tell us just about Grand Prairie um, and, and the transition there, how it's going? Um, yeah, any updates around that process? Maybe why it's going so smoothly. <laughs> I don't know if I would necessarily say that. I mean, we saw that uh, Dwayne Lacusta got hired on as the chief of police. I mean, he's he is going to be. Uh, I mean, he's got his work cut out for him. Mm -hmm. um, he's. I think end of next year they're supposed to have like forty-one. Like, there's varying kind of numbers, but their their transition plan is. 41-ish by next year. And I think the year after that, they're, you know, almost double that year after that, I think. So 24, 25, 20, 26, 27 is when they're supposed to be fully stood up. So that means bringing on a hundred members. I'm not sure how that's going to look because we haven't really seen much by way of uh, recruiting strategy or like, okay. I, I'll tell you that our members that are there, nobody is interested in flipping over to a Grand Prairie Police Service. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, we haven't seen it. There might be the odd one that wants to stay in the area, but we've got a rural presence. So they'll likely stay on that front, but that's more because, you know, ex-wife or kids or whatever kind of there. Um, 
I don't know if Surrey, I mean, Surrey and GP are good comparators, but the difference, of course, with Surrey is you're in the lower mainland and you're surrounded by all of these other kind of police forces. So there, there can be a lot of that uh, jumping from one to the other or moving yeah. back and forth and so on. That's not the case within Grand Prairie. So either you're going to have raw recruits coming into Grand Prairie, uh, which in and of itself could could be problematic because, I mean, as you know, policing isn't like policing is born out of experience. That's how yeah. you, you kind of keep keep things going. Um, and then I'm not I mean, there might be some experienced police officers that go over, but we haven't seen that much of a of an interest i'm i mean whatever i mean grand prairie made that decision i think it's going to be problematic um and i think in the end um the force was doing like the rcmp was doing a good job there but it seems to me to have been more politically motivated i don't mm. I, I i presented to city council at that time i went there and i I asked, you know, various questions, and I don't think there was a good understanding necessarily on their part on the the ramifications of that decision. And that's everything from major crimes investigation to drug investigation yeah. to air services to emergency response team, uh, bomb unit, dog, etc. All of these things are very, very expensive, and it's not a question. You can't just stand up a tactical team or an emergency response team, you, you need people who have experience in it. You need, I mean, it granted it all started somewhere, but that's not the reality we're living in these days. There's a huge liability here. And I, I'm not confident that it's going to be satisfied with the way things are going. But I mean, my crystal ball stopped working a long time ago. <laughs> and just before you jump in there, Kev, uh, just along the lines of what you're saying, Jeff, about, uh, people jumping over. So when I had Brian, the uh, for listeners, the president of the NPF uh, on the program before he and I, I won't be able to do these numbers justice, but he said, I think they expected in Surrey something like 40 or 50% of people just to throw a number out there. It was, it was a big number to jump yep. and stay in Surrey. Yeah. And then it ended up being something like 7%. So it was way yep. lower. I think it might have actually been lower than that. Like yeah. they expected, and again, I can't remember what the number was a percent, but it was a huge percentage that they expected to jump over. And at the end of the day, uh, members jumping over uh, from the RCMP total um, was very small, uh, less than 7%. And I think I want to say maybe around that 5% number. And the number of members that actually jumped from Surrey was even lower, like, like, okay. Yeah, yeah, really low, um, and you can only kind of assume that um, uh, there would be those sort of low percentages from in Grand Prairie as well. I mean, like Jeff said, there, there, you know, there may be a very small handful of members that want to jump over to a brand new unproven police service uh, for whatever the reason is. You know, the, you know, they have, you know, wife's got a good job at the college or whatever, or you know, they're mm -hmm. looking at the, you know, they're wanting to go to pension and double dip and you know and, and you know no offense to no offense meant to any of those guys i probably know most of them um you know ha have at her you know like you know enjoy um and in whatnot but um but as far as um you know vast numbers jump jumping over i i just don't think you'll see it um and i think recruiting will um recruiting is going to be tough regardless for them. I mean, we saw that, you know, again, not to make comparisons to Kirk Surrey, but, you know, they expected to have, um, you know, several hundred or, or a few hundred, I should say, um, hired to Surrey a long time ago. And yeah. the, the numbers just aren't there. And that's where, and we're talking Surrey, large, large center with a huge population around it to draw from, uh, let alone across the country. Whereas in Grand Prairie, you're, you're, you know, I'm again, I'm from Grand Prairie. Uh, so I understand the area up there very well um not a not a huge um uh, population to draw from for police officers i mean the 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 talent pool the talent pool for police officers across the country is extremely small to begin with yeah uh, you know jeff will have the numbers at the top of his head but you know for a population in the country i think we have only like sixty-eight thousand police officers yeah, the country. yeah there's not there's not a lot of people wanting to do this job um and with the state of recruiting um 
everywhere, um, not just in the Mounties, but um, you know, pretty much anywhere in Canada or, or North America, any of the major police services anyway. Um, if there's a if there's a able-bodied person that has the skill set and the desire to become a police officer, they can pretty much look at a map right now and say, I want to be a police officer at location Z. Exactly. And then go apply there. If you're if you're qualified and suitable, you're gonna get hired. Like it's 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 a it's a buyer's market right now. If I can use that term as far as joining. Yeah, people are paying some big dollars to have people switch services, right? Uh, oh, yeah. And yeah. relocation uh, fees and or uh, expenses. Uh, one of the things that I also didn't know uh, if Grand Prairie was doing was, and I think Surrey did this, where if you had X amount of years on, say, as a constable, you could apply directly to be a sergeant. Or if you were a sergeant with 10 years, say, you could be a staff sergeant. Is, is Grand Prairie doing anything like that? We, we oh, haven't no. really seen that. I mean, and even with Grand Prairie, because you're looking at roughly, I think total, I think it's 104 or so police officers. So you're going to have a chief and then probably two deputy chiefs. And then you're going to have a couple, you know, there'll be a couple of maybe uh, staff sergeants in charge of whatever units, but there's going to be pretty mm. limited positions. So um, I'm not sure that you would necessarily see. I mean, again, it depends on who's bringing people in, but I, I don't know if that's been actually covered. And uh, I don't think that there's a, a, a hard and fast plan there, especially when you're comparing to Surrey. So Surrey, I think it's like 152 or pardon me, 852 police officers within Surrey detachment. GP, you're looking at 104. And I'll tell you right now, I mean, they have sergeants in charge of the watches there. They'll have a corporal or two underneath. They'll have a traffic unit. They'll have um, train. There's a training sergeant, uh, an inspector, superintendent. Uh, it's kind of that command. And then staff sergeant yep. or two in charge of those areas. So your positions are pretty limited. So if they do end up getting a lot of people putting in for those ones, they could likely be picky. But again, I haven't seen whether or not anybody's actually put in for it. I'm sure there'll be some, um, but we just don't, we just don't know yet. Yeah. Do you guys have any um, thoughts on just, so there's the Grand Prairie's transition. Um, seen Surrey. Uh, I, I know there's some First Nations that we're talking about looking at their own police services. Uh, what, what do you think the main motive is for why these, all this, People are talking about this now. Is this just like a big, um, like, beat it, Ottawa? We don't want you in here. Is that like the main driver? Or is there, is there anything else kind of going on? Hmm. Compli complicated. I, I think. <laughs> I think really, um, there is such a distaste for Ottawa and the Liberal government, particularly the current Prime Minister, that I think that that kind of taints a lot of the view of stuff because we hear it all the time that oh, the RCMP, you answer to Justin Trudeau uh, and all this other stuff. And there's such a disconnect on the, on that statement. Like yeah. nobody, like nobody does anything like that. The, the prevent like policing is, is, you know, subordinate to the law, right? I mean, the law is, the guiding principle for all of it, irrespective of who may or may not be prime minister at the time. Um, I think that the uh, defund the police movement and all of the negative press and the the really anti-police sentiment that we've we've been seeing in the last couple of years has had an effect on that. And I'm I think that people people believe that somehow there's an element of control that's yeah. missing. And, and I don't know where that comes from because I can think of nothing worse than politicians controlling the actions of the police, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, it, it flies in the face of a liberal democracy. Liberal democracy is law. I would think along the same lines as all I was going to kind of put in there is like, I think it comes down to control, uh, control of resources, control the budgets, but also now the the local politicians get to say like we're directing you there or they maybe have that idea that like we're directing you and we're gonna have that much more control but then you start getting police commissions involved and, and chiefs and stuff like there's different buffers in there so yeah maybe i don't know if they're like hold like a you know 
on a, a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I get what you're saying there with the control. Last year at this time, anyway, there was a lot of conversation um, about, you know, what Jeff was alluded to, you know, too much control from Ottawa, you know, answer to the feds and all that kind of stuff. And under the, you know, the, the provincial police services agreement, that's the contract between the provincial government and the federal government. Um, it's completely not true. Um, Article six of the that agreement, that contract, uh, clearly said, says that the provincial minister sets the priorities and objectives and the goals for the provincial police service. Uh, and currently the RCMP. So, but um, the a lot of people miss that because you know it's it's you know it's all the scuttlebutt on uh, on the social media or whatever reports yeah. that you know the Mounties uh, answer to the feds um, and they just take it as gospel. Where in, in fact it's it couldn't be further from the truth. And you know and, and you know you don't but you don't take my word for the word my word for it. Just you know Google Alberta Police Services Agreement and you can you can read it for yourself. It's Article Six. Um, and it's not even a long document. It's only about 80 some pages and, and it's not, it's not complicated phrasing at all. That's, that, that's an issue everywhere right now in, in almost any industry, nobody goes past like the, you know, the clickbait and the headlines. <laughs> it's like read with a little bit of depth or research something before you scream and shout. Right. That's the unfortunate part because the actual data or truth of the matter is out there and available. But um, there's a disservice, I think, being done by various special interest groups who clearly have an agenda that uh, want to detract from the role of police or the way police are, are, are conducting themselves. Um, oversight's a good thing. Everybody's on board with it. We, I mean, there is no more heavily regulated uh, industry, honestly, in Canada than policing. Consider... Yeah. Your public complaints and your LERB for you guys, and then CRCC and ACERT and, and everything, and then the internal stuff and a rank structure, and it is heavily regulated. So, I mean, if they wanna, if they wanna try and address, I don't know what control they're missing. Like, I, yeah. I'm at a loss when when I try and figure out why. I think it's just rhetoric, and I think. It's it's nothing there. It's somebody says it, and there isn't much thought beyond it. So yeah, and I think uh, one of the best things that I found through even just doing this podcast, and I've had some of the local politicians on, chiefs of police, uh, is telling them like, come on a ride along, and showing them. And we've had them out, and yeah, I think it's like uh, uh, one of the biggest eye opening experiences, and having them out with like patrol. Or, the, or, or get them out with like a crew team, like the people that are in the shit, like doing, you know, real grind out there. Because that's where they need to see like, this is how, this is how the nice society is made. <laughs> so they lose that well, perspective. Yeah, and you're right. And I think, um, and it's, it's anecdotal, but uh, currently within the RCMP, there is a like a national oversight body and it's made up of various people, you know, high flyers. And the current chair of that group is, um, I think his name is Kent Roach. Kent Roach you, or was or is a lawyer. He was a professor at Osgood Law School, I, I believe. Anyway, okay, he, he was like out of Toronto and he was often critical of a lot of the stuff that the mounted police or like the Mounties were doing in the various areas. But he was invited, and good on him, he accepted uh, tours of the various areas. So I think he was in uh, Surrey, like Lower Mainland at some point. Then he was in, I can't remember if it was uh, Northern Saskatchewan and Northern Manitoba, and gave him an opportunity to see the, the, the myriad of responsibilities that police and us in, in particular we're, we're doing and the nature of the calls and the lack of resources and the lack of logistical support, et cetera, et cetera, especially when you're going into a lot of these northern communities. And he had the 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 humility, I guess, to say, you know what, this was eye opening. Uh, this was. And so he's kind of mm-hmm. changed his his take on it. So it's you're right. You need to be able to get people out and see what it is that that the police actually do. And maybe they'll understand that. You know, we're not targeting groups. We're not just picking on people. It's 
again, behavior-based. We're responding to the calls. The public is the one that's calling us because, believe it or not, police have more than enough to do without having to go and pick on people, right? I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, and did you have anything, Kevin? I was just chuckling at what Jeff said. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, um, they don't have extra time to go pick on people. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're very good our hands full. Maybe we'll kind of just uh, coming up to the end here and wrap up with, you got any new news, uh, any projects, any initiatives that are on the go from the NPF side um, that you could kind of tell people about? I know, uh, Kevin, just before we fired up, we were talking about the pistol transition because um, I still see guys walking around with those Smith & Wessons. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a brick on your hip. But uh, yeah, anything kind of coming down the pipe? Well, yeah. Um, so <laughs> so when I, when I first started, I had a revolver. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, <laughs> that's where it was. So I had the revolver and I think the transition occurred in, uh, 96 and I was like, Oh, great. We have a semi-auto. It turned out to be a, a boat anchor, uh, but it served its purpose. Right. But yep. we're 20 years on easily with this thing. Um, with the emergency response team, we carried the SIG, which was a nicer, like we, we all like, like we're all cops. We all like you know, the new gun and the new shiny thing, but there is a real need for it now. And we've been like Kevin and myself, we've been really pushing hard, uh, to, to get a new pistol because as with anything breaks down over time, pieces start to break. Like any amount of maintenance is not going to save just wear and tear from an old object. So right now I think, um, like the RCMP has done its stuff with the with respect to the pistol. So the pistol is done. It's been moved over to uh, PSPC, so basically Procurement Canada. So that's the branch within the federal government that is responsible for uh, the new contract and get it going. Um, anybody who pays attention to the news can see that at times things may or may not be slowed down with that. Um, we suspect that at least by the next fall they should be rolling it out like it doesn't seem that complicated to any of us like it's it's pretty simple it's going to be uh polymer with any luck kind of a modular design striker fired lighter with a red dot uh light you know extra magazines all this stuff the platform basically the same. So you're not looking at too much by way of training. It should be an easy thing to start and get don't get going. But as with any, anything, uh, bureaucracy may, you know, it'll, it'll have its impact because obviously there are rules to follow, but I am cautiously optimistic by next year, perhaps this time next year, we will yeah. see a new, new pistol. But like I said before, my crystal ball stopped working a long time ago. So <laughs> I don't know. Kevin? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. no. Uh, yeah, Jeff's right. I mean, it's it's has been, you know, at times it's felt like pushing a rope up a hill. It's it's just gone really slow. Um, the RCMP has actually been pretty, you know, from Jeff's and my comfort of Jeff and I share, chair, um, the RCMP has actually been fairly easy to work with as far as, uh, you know, getting them on board, uh, you know, agreeing that there is a need for a pistol and, and, and whatnot. Um, it's uh, procurement that's really been slowing the things down here. Um, the only thing I'm going to add to what Jeff said is like when we started getting this pistols, I'm not quite as old as Jeff. So I started with the pistol, but just, just barely just by, just by a few months. Um, the, um, at that point, um, it was already old technology and in some police mm-hmm. forces in the States, NYPD rings a bell. We're actually getting rid of those ones, the, the 5946, but we were getting on, you know, at the time was it an improvement from the revolvers. Yeah, sure. It was. Um, but just like anything else, um, you know, um, you know, time moves on and, and there's, there's new, much better stuff now. And what we have now, while they were good when we first got them, uh, I'm going to say good, not great. Um, you know, it's, it's time to move on and get something better. Uh, what that is or who, whose logo is on the, on the frame, who knows yet. Um, uh, but the, the specs of are, you know, readily available on, uh, on the, the government buy and sell website, at least they were. Mm. Um, and it'll be a, it'll be a whiz bang shiny with all the bells and whistles with, with, with all the creature comforts of the, uh, you know, the newest, shiniest, uh, model out there. So that'll be good. So, and, yeah. you know, for any of the Mounties that are listening, you know, I, all I can say is, you know, good things come to those that wait as hokey as that sounds. 
Um, but you know, it's, it will be worth the wait. I'm quite confident. Um, uh, but on the other hand, if, if you need a boat anchor, you'll probably actually have to go buy a boat anchor here your pistol you're gonna have to turn back in um <laughs> the other thing jeff and i are working on is the body worn cameras um which yes. is it's going it's is going um again not as quick as we would like to um and there was some problems with the first vendor that they piloted but um it's moving along so again in you know in the next well i don't know jeff i don't know how many months i would guess but um you know sooner rather than later because there does seem to be a push from the federal government to get those done i would suspect we'll, we will see those out in the field kind of on a I think we're in this. We're in the same boat as you. Like we're testing a couple of vendors here in Edmonton. So yeah, and um, and that's the. Uh, I, I think like it had originally. It looks like it. Uh, like the the second one that has been moved on. I think it was Axon was identified. I. We'll see how that ends up playing out. But this is where a lot of the the public doesn't seem to understand. Uh, just how big of a project this is when you start to include disclosure rules and um, yeah. privacy laws and storage capacity and all of this vetting stuff and the ability of the crown to actually use it. So it's not just a simple matter of grabbing a camera, slapping it on, and then off you go to to work. You have to have all of these other things. You have to have policies in place. You have to have, because there will be, I mean, these things are going to be out there and, and especially especially when you're looking at outfitting your your police forces with it um there is going to be a lot of these things out there and it's going to be you know f- uh, you know foip stuff or a tip for us uh, yep. there's going to be lots of demand for it i mean it's potentially going to you know what are the rules when it comes to releasing to the media how do you how do you gauge all this stuff uh, what can the crown use are they going to so there is a massive massive um behind the scenes kind of uh, development for this project. Now it's gone relatively quick. Uh, Kevin and I uh, have, have reviewed and gone like the, the force kind of sends over the policy just for our thoughts and so on. And they've been pretty good about incorporating some of our concerns. Uh, and right now it's a matter of getting it and, and making sure that it can operate, you know, from, the wet climate of Vancouver Island to the north yeah. of Nunavut, right? I mean, because you're you're looking at one big, one big uh, uh, purchase, so it it'll be interesting. The cold is. Uh, I don't think people realize like there's almost no way to get around it. Like when yep. when the cold sets in, like it, it affects everything, all your systems. <laughs> so yeah, well, and and consider when we started with the Vix cameras. I mean, it was basically. Uh, a VCR in the in the trunk. I remember when it started <laughs> yeah. out, right? And they more often than not uh, crapped out, and that's because yep. freezing cold. They stay in there, and then of course there's the inevitable questions of, well, how come your VIX wasn't working? Why wasn't this? And then it's implied that it was turned off or whatever. And hey, man, yeah. VCR in the trunk just ain't going to work that good. So we got to work these things out. I remember changing the. CD in yeah. there every shift. You have to put the CD in. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, <laughs> and no, yeah, nothing likes the cold, including me. Um, you know, and and you know, and yeah, I mean, there'll be a whole pile of things. You know, like um, you know, the battery life and will it work a full shift in the cold and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it'll probably do better when it's tucked underneath your coat, but then it kind of defeats the purpose. So <laughs> be invisible. So. But, um, but anyway, it, you know, it'll be a, it'll be a, another step to um, move into the 21st century of policing whenever we get those. Yeah. And I, I think it'll be good. I, I actually am looking forward to a lot of the video being out there and being available to the public so the public can yeah. see and have a better perspective on what it is that the police deal with. And the, and honestly, the abuse that the police end up taking um, because I think middle-class Canada doesn't really understand what or how things, uh, are when they're on the street. I mean, I, I usually use my mother as a middle-class barometer of what she yeah. knows or understands and, and because she'll watch the news and whatever. And unless she's actually speaking to myself or my brother, cause my brother's a member as well. Um, unless she's speaking to us, she won't necessarily have that perspective that says, well, hold on a second here. It's not actually playing out 
as you see in the media, there's another yeah. side to it. And I think that the cam, the, the, the body worn camera will provide that other aspect to it. So I think it'll be beneficial. And even if not the audio, there's the video, or sorry, if not the video, there's the audio. Um, but I just I, like, I'm all for it. I say, let her rip. Cause I think people are going to be surprised at just who lives next door to them. <laughs> and then when they see it in their communities and it's not, it's not always the, uh, low socioeconomic, uh, down on their luck. What was me? Like any of that stuff. It's like middle-class people. They're going to see, you know, who's in their neighborhood and what police have to deal with. Even some of the, the nicer neighborhoods. And we're like, wow, that's how people act. <laughs> oh, I, I, I can't wait for people to see the inside of some of his houses and stuff and see, wow, this is how some people live. Like it's, it's really, it's really eye-opening, and it's something that I think the, the police in Canada have shielded the majority of Canadians from for a very, very long time. There's a reason that we're there. There's a reason it's called the thin blue line, right? Protecting society yeah. from chaos. So, yeah. 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 You know, and I think uh, just from talking to our members uh, out in the field, um, they're all super eager to get body-worn cameras as well. Um, if for nothing else to, to give a... Um, uh, full and transparent, you know, view of what actually, you know, took place, you know, just like the, you know, not unlike any of the members from municipal police services across the province, you know, our guys, you know, get uh, public complaints that are, um, you know, for lack of better words, completely fictitious. Um, yeah. And, and they often say, well, geez, you know, had I had a camera, we could just go to the tape and you could see exactly what happened. So I think, um, I think when that day comes, it will be uh, spectacular, I think. And, um, um, hopefully it will put an end to some of those, um, those ridiculous complaints that we, we get. Yeah. You know what I think, uh, maybe we'll kind of wrap up here with, uh, I'll say like, there's nobody that's looking to get rid of bad police more than the good police. And when we have that, that video and stuff, and with the way things are right now, I think police are the first and foremost to hold themselves accountable. And I, it's just, it's on the public side. And uh, one of the things I always put out in social media stuff is asking the community, what are you doing to produce better people? You know, wh where were you raising these people, educating health systems, whatever else came across? Like by the time the police are dealing with somebody, generally, you know, many, many systems have failed them when they, by the time they get to us. So what are you doing to, to make better people? So, um, yeah, no, I, and if there's anything else you guys want to kind of wrap up with, but, uh, kind of end it there. I think we got through quite a bit more than uh, I thought we were uh -huh. going to get to. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, no, uh, we really appreciate you having us on and, uh, you know what? I mean, if you're so inclined and or something comes up, you can reach out to either of us and we'd gladly do it again. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's too bad you didn't didn't have a studio because I love nothing better than getting out of the house <laughs> to do that because I got the office here. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe one day uh, we'll see about about that. That's big money, though, and I'm, I'm not Joe <laughs> Rogan, so I don't get to create a spaceship or whatever he's got. <laughs> so Too bad. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I appreciate having you guys on and uh, just hang on the line for a second here. I'll say by offline, but um, yeah, really, really uh, glad we could get you in. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Nathan. It's great. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you very much.